couple of weeks ago at a committee meeting here, Bo Crowell, and I should have mentioned, I should have, I meant to light a candle for Bo. He was supposed to be here today, and Megan stepped in for him. Bo's father is in the hospital down in Rhode Island, and I forgot to mention that, so prayers for Bo and his dad. But Bo shared a reading, the gist of which was that great spiritual leaders come to set us free, but we people tend to build institutions, which can too often become about rules and customs and end up being more restrictive than liberating. One particular line in the reading really struck me. It said, you don't need the church or the priesthood to have a spiritual life. And I felt compelled to respond. I said, as someone who has chosen to work in and spend my life now in the institutional church, I know that what you say is true. And sometimes I despair for the future of the church. There was a little moment of silence. I was mostly speaking to the fact that these are not the best days for organized religion. That spiritual innovation these days is often happening outside of the church. And I do wonder about our future. Then one of you spoke up and quietly said, I need you to hear right now that I need the church. I need this church. She wasn't saying that she needed denominational structures or books of theology or doctrine or pianos or candles or those other things our children mentioned this morning, as good and important as those things can be. No, she was saying that she needed the compassionate community that you all create here, that is here when you need it and here when others need it. And I was so grateful in that moment for that reminder and for that affirmation of the power of community. This one in particular is what we heard in Linda's testimonial today and in Taffy's last Sunday. And thank you both for those beautiful offerings. You may know these words from Starhawk. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing. A circle of friends. Some place where we can be free. The first sermon I ever preached here was at the start of the week where you all, at the end of the week, were going to decide whether you wanted to call me as your minister. I looked that sermon up this week because I remembered something about it. The title was 
We need a community. Some things don't change over time. My message back then, as it is still today, was about the transformative power of people joining together to be and do what we can't accomplish all on their own, all on our own. And this is central to my spirituality and my theology. Because another church community, when I needed it, held open a space where I could ask for questions and search for answers and work with others to do what needed to be done. That community both held me and inspired me and challenged me and in some mysterious way kindled this fire in me that sent me off to do what at the time seemed like this crazy thing to go off to seminary and into the ministry, which I did not plan to do and really didn't even want to do and which has turned out to be such a deep and profound blessing, especially these years that I have been here with you. Because being here, hearing your stories and being part of your lives, you have strengthened my faith. And when I have needed it, you have restored my faith. And it's important that you know that because I am forever grateful. I believe in the power of love. I believe in the power of showing up. I believe there is a spirit moving among us, whether you call it spirit of life or spirit of love or the human spirit or God or whatever you want to call that mysterious life-giving presence. And I believe in the power of community. In Africa, there's this widely held understanding that we aren't isolated individuals, that we belong to one another in deep and profound ways. This understanding is called Ubuntu. And it means a person is a person through other persons. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says, Ubuntu means my humanity is caught up, is bound up inextricably with yours. But have you noticed that our culture is different than that? That in our national DNA, there seems to be this deep strand not as much of connection as individualism, rugged individualism even. We tend to see strength as more of an individual trait, right? We worship the hero more than we celebrate teamwork or cooperation. It must go back to the Europeans who colonized this land who over time took it from the native people who were here and then used slave labor to build this country. This belief that power over others is the pinnacle of achievement because if you are powerful, then you can do what you want. 
I know that each of us needs to do our own work of individuating, of becoming our true selves. And that work should lead us into more connection with others, not into isolation. Because the hyper-individualism of our country is killing us. Do you know Robert Putnam, who wrote a book some years ago about the decline of community in America? The book is called Bowling Alone. It's based on research that he did. He has statistics like these. Over the last 25 years, attendance at club meetings has gone down 58%. People showing up for family dinner, that's down 43%. Even having friends over has dropped 35%. We are less connected than we used to be, unless you count that online stuff. You know that isolation is one of the common traits found among those young men who are the perpetrators of school shootings. Our individualism and our isolation is killing us. But it doesn't have to be this way. Putnam says, here's some good news. Joining and participating in one group just one group will cut in half the odds that you're going to die in the next year. I know. Maybe we should put that on a banner out front. <laughs> Come to church. It will reduce your chance of dying by 50%. And then if you do die and you know, we all are. We can help you with that, too, here. <laughs> Wendell Berry, many of you know Wendell Berry. He's a contemporary prophet calling us to wake up and live a different way, more mindfully, more respectful of each other and of the land that sustains us. A writer and farmer and environmentalist, he's lived over 40 years now on a farm near where he was born in Kentucky. He's written a series of novels set in that community. And this morning we heard from his character, Jaber Crow, who at the start of the novel is the town barber. Later he becomes the grave digger and the church janitor, where he observes life and talks about it. Jaber is no optimist. He's had some heartbreak in his life and plenty of disappointment, but this hasn't hardened him. He sees things as they are, and he has a vision of how things could be. Isn't this what it means to be a person of faith? So I want to offer you again Jaber Crow's vision of the gathered community I offer it as a tribute to you and to what you are creating here in this congregation. What I saw now was the community imperfect and ir irresolute, but held together by the frayed and always fraying, incomplete, and yet ever holding bonds of the various sorts of affection.
There had maybe never been anybody who had not been loved by somebody, who had been loved by someone else, and so on and so on. It was a community always disappointed in itself, disappointing its members, always trying to contain its divisions and gentle, its meanness, always failing, and yet always preserving a sort of will toward goodwill. My vision gathered the community as it never has been and never will be gathered in this world of time. For the community must always be marred by members who are indifferent to it or against it, who are nonetheless its members and maybe nonetheless essential to it. And yet I saw them all as somehow perfected, beyond time, by one another's love, compassion, and forgiveness. As it is said, we may be perfected by grace. What does it mean to be faithful? Does it mean saying pious words or believing in the unbelievable? I don't think so. I believe that faith is about reaching out your hands. Even when you are tired, or scared. It's about showing up, especially after you have been hurt or disappointed. It's about holding a vision of what is yet to be and then doing what you can to make it real. We are at the time of the church year when we ask you to pledge your financial support to this community. We do this so that we can be the community that we aspire to be, so that we can hold open a space in this city where people are fed in body and in spirit, where we work for justice and for liberation, where we help try to build the common good. At coffee hour today, our team will be handing you in an envelope your pledge card. And in the coming weeks, I ask you to really think about how generous you can be. Because we need you. We need you to be the community we aspire to be. We need each of you. And you know this already, don't you? We need what you have to give your presence and your ideas and your energy and your money in order to pay our staff and take good care of our building and plan for a bright future. We need what you have to give. And I see giving to the church as different than giving to other worthy organizations because the church is where I belong. It's my community. It's your community. So please search your hearts this week and make the best pledge you can. And together we will continue to build on the good that we have here. As you know, today is St. Patrick's Day. And with things like green beer and parades and such, 
you could forget that it's just one in a number of days that the church has marked to remember and honor those who have been recognized as saints, as heroes of the church. And there's nothing wrong with lifting up individuals and calling them saints, right? As long as you don't let this keep you from seeing that you also have a part to play. Whether somebody ever knows your name or not. In the church that I grew up in, we sang this little children's hymn about this. And the last verse says this. It says, the saints lived not only in ages past, there are hundreds of thousands still. And the hymn ends this way. You can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea. For the saints of God are just folk like me, and I mean to be one too. It is our universalist faith that we are all part of a great love, that nobody is beyond this love. We say, nobody left behind. We believe in the communion of all the saints and of all the souls. And this means, of course, that we each are part of this great work that lies before us. This work of saving the world. Doing what we can, where we can, to make things better. That is what we are about here in this compassionate and liberating and justice-seeking community. We each have our own part to play. To be saved by community, you just have to join in. Give me your hand, and I will give you mine. Together, we will be stronger and braver and wiser than we can be all on our own. Together we will see that we are part of a great cloud of witnesses, the community of all the saints, doing our part to help one another and build the common good. Amen.